Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Brian. And this week's episode is a continuation of our last episode in our interview with Dr. Andrew DeMeo, who's a health innovator, designer, entrepreneur, and teacher. Dr. DeMeo helped found and then taught the BME Senior Design course at UNC and NC State in the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering for several years. And in our last episode, he described his motivations for restructuring the course and what happens for students in the fall semester, leading up into the point where they've identified their problem and are leaving for winter break. So this episode will pick up with what happens in the spring semester. Please enjoy the continuation of this interview with Dr. Andrew DeMeo. Okay, so we finished the clinical immersion piece, we've identified needs, and we've looked in detail at different criteria and identified the problem we want to go about solving. We've returned from winter break. What happens next? What happens in the spring semester? Yeah, so um, phase three begins the what are all the ways we can solve this problem? Mm -hmm. But you're really looking for completely unique solutions I'll, I'll i'll switch to one of my one of the other projects that i was uh, involved in and so i can kind of remember it a little bit better it was it was can we induce therapeutic hypothermia in cardiac arrest outside of the hospital so when somebody suffers cardiac arrest first responders arrive they need to cool down that patient as fast as possible so one solution might be, hey, they've got saline bags there. This is the this this is what we we went with with this project. They've got saline bags there. Can we rapidly cool the saline from when it leaves the bag to enters the patient? So we're cooling wow. saline on demand. So one idea would be cool saline on demand. But then another way might be, can we have a blanket that we wrap around them that cools them? Can we have some kind of injection of a freezing substance up into the nasal passages to freeze the brain? We would see a lot of, okay, let's cool saline on demand. What are all the ways to do that? This is actually now phase four. So it's, it's like, cool saline on demand, I mean, we could cool it with, you know, some refrigeration, powered refrigeration system that it runs through, it runs through a little refrigerator. Um, we could use uh, endothermic chemical reaction, which is what we did. We could, we, we could um, hit it with like Freon, um, right? There, there was, there was, there's like, a, you can come up with a whole right. bunch of ways. And so th that was one of the things that I would have with the students. I'd be like, those aren't different ideas. That's, that's one idea. Mm -hmm. You're just coming up with a bunch of different ways to do it. So mm -hmm. yeah, phase, phase three was what are all the ways we could, we could resolve this need. Um, and then you're narrowing it down to the one way. Right. Like, yeah. okay. At the end of phase three, it's, 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 we are going to cool saline on demand using a 
chemical endothermic reaction or endothermic chemical reaction. I've gotten mm-hmm. corrected which way is the right way to say it. I can't remember which is right. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't know. So we won't correct you. It's yeah. an endothermic <laughs> chemical reaction. Now you got to do it, right? So right. phase four is is source all the materials and actually mm-hmm. build. So by the end of phase I like to put it this way, by the end, if you were building, if your project was build a house, (laughs) by the end of phase three, you should have all of the blueprints to build a house. It's like, we are built, we know, it's like, what are all the ways we can provide, you know, shelter to humans? And then by the end of it, it's like, we are building a house. (laughs) It will have a roof and electricity and running water and stuff and so by the end of by the end of phase three you have instructions to build in phase four you you try to build it Mm -hmm. um i can say that by the end of phase four what you have is um what we built it's like oh we thought we were building you know a brick house with a basement we ended up building a wood house on a slab (laughs) right like because it doesn't go to plan things just don't you know you you sort of have your plan and then things don't go to plan so I always we used to have I think I wish I I think this is right we used to have your at the end of phase three your manufacturing plan and then at the end of phase four, your manufacturing report. And it was, it was basically to say, here's the, here's the plans to build what we wanted to build. Here's the mm-hmm. plans to build what we built. So if someone wanted to rebuild exactly what you built, they would look at the phase four instructions, not the phase three instructions. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so me being a process engineer, yeah. once we get to this side of things, uh, and I definitely was not a process engineer before, so I had no idea. But like design for manufacturability, was that something you ever taught or went over? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And here's, so this is one of the fun things that I did. So we used to have all of the deliverables used to have to be signed, used to have to have signatures from the team and a qualified representative that was not on the team to get it into the design history file as a completed deliverable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I started by thinking that was going to be me and the TA, like the TA and I are going to be the independent assessors that are going to read and sign everything. Yeah. But I very rapidly abandoned this when, okay, it's so fun because you have no idea what's going to happen when the class starts yeah nobody does which is terrifying to everyone because they want to know what's going to happen and like the <laughs> the person running the class is saying i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how this like, year goes yeah we'll just see how it goes <laughs> uh, but what what happened was right in that very first year it was it was i you know they had to come up with these manufacturing plans right and in the manufacturing plans, they were planning to like manufacture textiles. 
and and do like nanotechnology fabrication and do some mm-hmm. fabrication in the cell lab doing something and i did not know all of these i didn't know anything about textiles right and so i, I very quickly realized i am not qualified and then <laughs> <laughs> oh my and, gosh you just made yeah. their class much harder they didn't know yeah. it <laughs> they had to yeah manufacturability became right. a, a really big part of it and part of that was going out and finding someone who would sign off on their oh. on their report industry mm-hmm. advisor or something. an industry advisor or some expert that was willing to put their john hancock on the on on the document and stand behind that and say i've reviewed these students work and what they're building is possible to do possible (laughs) possible yeah right (laughs) um okay follow-up question how was risk-based design and quality kind of built into uh the device design yeah so we did we did a couple of different uh risk assessments uh, mm-hmm. at the time and it's evolved over time um, but we were doing a, we did a fault tree analysis and mm-hmm. a um, failure modes effects and criticality analysis mm-hmm. um, so those were the two those are two of the tools that we used for both business, we did business risks um, as well as product risks and that was that was an evolving process. We also did a lot of just in general decision matrix type work. So mm-hmm. weighted weighted decisions. Everything had to get revised too. So I, I guess you know this whole thing builds on on it. So if you had phase, phase zero, all the deliverables had the, the number of there were like two digits in a letter where mm-hmm. you know like zero one would be like deliverable one of phase zero so if it was like zero one a it'd be the first revision of right phase zero deliverable one so they all went like zero one zero two zero three and then and then they had these revisions a b c d which seemed you know way over the top but it was absolutely accurate to the way that we did it in industry yeah of course you know, by the end of the year, your, your phase zero stuff should be revved up to, to D or E, right. And your phase one stuff should be revved up to C or, you know, and so on and so forth. So, Mm -hmm. so all of these things, when we introduce something like say a risk assessment, well, I don't remember what phase we introduced it in, but whatever phase we introduced it in, it was going to get revved, you know, through the, through the thing. So then the work just, you know, was building it's it's like you submit something how about that for a student right you submit something you think you're done and then you got to do it again (laughs) i'm actually thinking back like like we have all of our plm or the product life cycle management like software to help rev stuff in our company but then like i'm thinking back like hand or like paper documentation style um we didn't use it but like i think i've seen like examples of like binders of papers and papers in the senior design lab uh, of those uh, in those shelvings and i'm yep. just like thinking back like oh i remember that time when we would do all of this on paper rev them all and it's like i don't f- fully think i understood the importance of it at the time but looking back i'm like oh that makes sense and 
Well, so the year I was there, Devin Hubbard was teaching the class. I believe he still is. Um, and Greenlight Guru, which is, uh, I believe if I'm speaking about it correctly, it's a medical device uh, quality management system for device design. So Greenlight Guru was kind of like piloting their software with us. And it was a really cool opportunity to kind of use a software that automated all of this for you. So um, we had that kind of document control and everything we did was tied back to like um, our risk assessment structure. But I know that was that was the first year using a real system for it was in place. I think before then it was probably just a lot of uh, mm -hmm. shared Google folders or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we might not have mentioned at the front that I'm currently working at Greenlight Guru, right? So I don't right. know if that got, I don't know if that got on the air and I, I I've been with Greenlight Guru now for just a couple of months, but mm -hmm. way back then. And uh, when I was still at NC state, the students were trying to get me to switch from the paper quality management system to an electronic quality management system because I was responsible for the three three inch binders that were in the shelves there. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody had to buy a three inch binder. I've got a couple of like two quick stories, but well, one quick story. Um, you know, first day of class, I would be like, everybody's got to get every team needs to have a three inch, you know, three ring binder, three inch, <laughs> three ring binder. And it will be filled, and I would show them one. <laughs> and you know, the students are looking at me like, "We're not going to build that by the end of the." And of course, they're all you know jam packed full. Mm -hmm. But it was, I want to say, my very at the end of my very first year ever teaching. So I'm in it's my second year teaching, and I'm just a few weeks into the class, and I got an email from one of the alums, and he said, "I thought." That the that you were crazy when you had us do those three ring those three inch binders. <laughs> he said we filled up three three ring binders to validate the label. <laughs> <laughs> Medical device in a nutshell, yeah. right? That's yeah. the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, see, this really wasn't this really wasn't that bad. Looking back, it was kind of funny because the students, all they, all, all I could tell that they cared about was we were killing trees. It was like all this unnecessary mm -hmm. paper, yeah. <laughs> and you know, so it was an environmental incentive. Like Dr. DeMeo, we're killing all of it, this, these trees, so much paper. There's, a, there's got to be a better way. I did a little bit of research on my own, just kind of out of curiosity, and I found. I didn't even know I had been out of industry long enough that I really wasn't familiar with the idea of electronic quality management um, mm. systems. And so I found a few examples of where that software existed, but my, the whole, my whole thing, and this is, so again, in, in real life, when you're at your real job, if you don't like something, you don't go, you, you don't go to your manager and say, Hey, will you change? Will you, will you do this for me? Right. It's, it's mm -hmm. more like you fix, you make it better. That's why I say the students built the class. We had a symposium. The students did the symposium. We had a new website. The students built the website, you know, mm -hmm. the students wanted an electronic, an electronic quality management system. The students went out and found Greenlight Guru. Oh, wow. Um, and one of the alums 
actually introduced me to John Spear, the founder of Greenlight Guru. It's like, Dr. DeMeo, please meet John Spear. So I was literally introduced to the to the founder of Greenlight Guru by the students, mm-hmm. which is just funny that this is where I am right now. Um, yeah, so I right? can thank this. It's like it's like <laughs> cyclical, you know. I can. Yeah. I don't know who's thanking who here, um, but but uh, at the end of the day, what I realized at that during that time was, hey, I don't want to teach the students my past. I want them to be learning their future. Mm-hmm. And it was time. It was time to switch over to the EQMS. And mm-hmm. uh, subsequently, I got on the phone with John Spear and and they had never collaborated with a university before. And I, I told him this story that I'm telling you right now. And he said, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do this thing. And we, we installed um, Greenlight Guru at NC State I think there was Brian you were the one year after me and I think you know likely what happened is I sort of turned over that relationship to Devin Mm -hmm. and then uh, Devin spun it up at at UNC Um, and and so that's 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 how maybe it wasn't I don't know if it was utilized at NC State your senior year or not Uh yeah, it wasn't quite. We kind of just used like Google Docs and other other manual forms, but it's okay. I learned it at my internship and it was uh, good, very good. interesting. <laughs> good. My my favorite memories were always the final symposium. So back in the days that we ran that I was involved in the class, the students mm-hmm. put on an incredible symposium that was in RTP. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were hundreds of industry professionals invited. There was a beer and wine reception, um, and it was just a big celebration. I know, you know, from my perspective, the the grades were done. The grades were were in. It, mm-hmm. This event had no impact on grades. Every single team had a chance to present, and I just stood at the back of the the room. And I felt like a, a proud parent. I, I would set up yeah. my video camera <laughs> and I would just like, I oftentimes was in tears just watching the students give these presentations. Yeah. And there's no doubt that, that that was just my top favorite moment every single year being at that symposium. Um, it was a celebration. So yeah, hands down favorite memories. Um the uh, there's lots of other little favorite memories throughout the sure. throughout the years, but you know stories. It's awesome. It's awesome to see where it's evolving. You know yeah. how it's impacted lives and continues to. And I feel like I was one piece of a puzzle, right? It's not like I I didn't come in and cr- create what what's there. I I came in and changed. You know what was there before me and also collaborated with amazing people all, all around the, the world um, to uh, to bring it to where it is a few years ago. And I just feel like it's just progressing since I was, I went to the senior design symposium this year, um, you know, and COVID has yeah. messed everything, messed yeah. everything up, but mm-hmm. I was really impressed with what um, both Devin and uh, Bruce Wigan is at NC State now and he was one of my students back in the day and he's bringing in jobs to be done outcome driven innovation like processes into senior design it was just awesome I love that stuff and 
it's a you know it's uh it's great to see it continue to evolve and to continue to get better um yeah it's just really interesting seeing your journey through your career um how like one leads into the other your your galero and your industry experience led into the expertise for the senior design and within the senior design you worked with all these students these these young career professionals um for for many many years and then and they kind of lead you to green light grew and all this and it's personally interesting to me because i i knew who you were and i figured out that you weren't going to be my instructor so i made it a mission to like find you and so that's when we had those like little networking meetups uh whatever we were you know the common remember we i remember the first time we met was a uh, like an oyster roast at the uh, first <laughs> was, flight venture center yeah it was like that little <laughs> country boil like yeah. place um i was like oh i should go say hi um, i wasn't even a senior at the time um and I, I you you talked to me and i think um man that was the first time i met you so you mentioned a couple of things you were just like keep going to networking events and and um um, all these other things. So that was valuable. But it's interesting because I also interned at Galero. I also um, asked you a lot of stuff like at a dumpling shop, one of your students, prior students, dumpling shops and um, had some like career advice there. But I guess where I'm going to this, uh, I still have your um, trig business card in my my okay. wallet. <laughs> but anyways, he, anyways. He's fangirling. Uh, a little, a little bit, a little bit. But all to say, I learned a lot from you. I think um, there was like a lot of mm, career advice or just life advice um, as I was going through undergrad, trying to figure out what I want to do, going and relating with you on this biomedical engineering industry. So I wanted to open it to you and ask you if you had any career advice or BME advice or just general things that you learned um, through your career um, that could be helpful for students as they're figuring out what they want to do um, as they enter their career. Well, I appreciate all of that. And those are good memories. I remember I remember meeting you at the at the First Flight Venture Center event. I remember meeting again at, at MoFu, that's the that's the restaurant in downtown Raleigh that uh, one of the BME alums started that restaurant. Yeah. We're plugging uh, MoFu. Everyone go to MoFu if you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you were doing, I mean, first of all, you're doing the right thing, which was which was networking, right? And network has the word work in it. Um, it's it's hard work to to network. Mm. It's 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 not like oh, it's just who you know. Um, right. Networking is hard. It's hard. It's hard work. Yeah, you're it is. getting out there. You're meeting people. Uh, you're you're building a reputation. Um, and and so that that piece is just something that. Um, I wish I wished I could convince I always would tell the seniors this and the, the seniors would want to know um, how we could get better relationships with industry. Mm -hmm. And I, I would beg them, I would say, if you would just create really, really strong relationships with the freshmen and the sophomores, especially the sophomores and BME, because you might not know who the freshmen are. Yeah, it right. will start to fix itself. Like, mm -hmm. because by the time the current sophomores are 
seniors, you're going to be an industry and they can start to have an industry network. So mm -hmm. it's, I know it's like backwards, but the way for you to fix this is to go and establish really good relationships with the sophomores. Um, so if there's any current students listening to that, and if you're a sophomore, go spend, you know, make, make friends with the seniors. Um, and, but, you know, so that networking piece is just, is just critically important. You know, one of the other things that I, I would advise all of the students to do, young adults to do, is to think about what you can, what you can do, what you can accomplish versus what you can attain. There's, I think that there's a lot of, hey, I'm, I'm going to attain this degree. I'm going to get this degree. And this degree is going to be sort of my, my ticket to the next thing I do. Mm -hmm. And I, the things that I attain are my credentials for the, the, the things that I'm going to be doing. Um, and those credentials are, are fine. It's, it's, uh, but it's, it's really the things that you, that you do. It's like yeah. the, the, the projects that you work on, the things that you deliver. Right. And so it, whether it's undergraduate research and you're working in a lab and maybe you contribute to as an author on a paper um, to, you know, present a poster at a research symposium mm -hmm. um, or do a senior design project that results in, you know, some meaningful deliverable. And as you network, you're the person, you know, oh man, meet, you know, meet Brian and Allie. If I'm introducing you, if we're at a networking event, you know, meet Brian and Allie, these two young adults, um, professionals have started a podcast, you know, like you're, so it's, it's the things that you do. Um, we rarely introduce people as the things that they've attained, you know, mm -hmm. I you love know, this. Funny. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I want to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's funny though, that you know, that this is still the mindset for some people to think about credentials and not so much about experiences when the mm -hmm. structure of a resume sets you mm -hmm. up to put your credentials in one bullet point, And then the whole page is for your experiences. And mm -hmm. it's also how we know people and relate to people and choose the people we work with. And so, um, I think you can lose sight of that in the hustle of like tests and homeworks and grades in college, but kind of keeping your eye on the long term of what you're going to write in your resume is not your, your grades, but your experiences and what you've built and contributed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those, I, I really like the transferable skills aspect of it too. Right. Because mm -hmm. if you're in a resume building mode, you might, you might've been part of the Krispy Kreme challenge and you might've done some service project in high school and you might've done all these things, but you actually didn't. Mm -hmm you know, you were in resume building mode as opposed to learning how to run an event. If you're in the mode of, um, I want to, I want to be a kind person. I'll tell you, it's like, like one of the, the most important things you can do to be successful is just be a kind person, right? Be a good, be a good human being. Right. And so you're, you're on the Krispy Kreme 
challenge and you're rolling up your sleeves and you're really helping and you're in there well now you're networking and you got a group of people that see you working and it's like oh yeah these are the those are the guys that like helped run the Krispy Kreme challenge oh man they did like amazing work they're going to remember who you are you will have learned a skill that you can take with you mm -hmm. and uh, I've been thinking a lot lately this about um, the difference between lateral thinking and and linear or vertical you call it either way thinking um and i don't know if you've ever heard this this whole it's easier to connect dots in reverse like going going back than trying to figure out what all these different things that seem unrelated how they all link together okay mm. um and the the visual example is a puzzle game where you're trying to fit all the puzzle pieces into into the space and you can make one really good move every time it's like what's the best first move and the best second move and the best third move and you're making each individual move one at a time until you get all the way to the end and the last piece doesn't fit and you toss it out and then you do it again and you toss it out and you do it again. And this is a, like a linear or vertical thinking process versus like kind of randomly putting stuff on the board and, and move like moving stuff around. Seeing the big picture until it just like fits and it's <laughs> like, Oh, there it is. Now yeah. you could, you could take them off. You could like, figure out what would be the way to put them together in order and it's like oh that was that was easy um <laughs> and it's always seems that way it's like look in in reverse you can see all of these transferable skills and how they lined up you know you can tell my mm. story like oh you you know oh andrew he worked in the motion picture industry we didn't talk about that then he came to north carolina on a motorcycle <laughs> and then he studied physics and then he studied biomedical engineering and then he worked in this job and then he started galero and then he started this thing and then he came to teach and then he went and worked in an industrial design firm and then he started a company and then it got acquired by Greenlight guru it's like oh, of okay. course yeah oh yeah <laughs> duh uh, yeah <laughs> But it was, you know, it was more like, it, it was, it was more like just trying to figure stuff out all the time mm -hmm. um, and taking all of those skills along the way um, and using them. So you just don't know, you know, it's, you, you could, I don't know, students oftentimes, especially with the, you know, electives and certain things like this is useless, this is useless, this is useless. I mean, the only thing that's useless is wasting time and yeah. life. Yeah. Right. And so if, if, if you're going to be in that class, make, you know, come out of it with a transferable skill that you may or may not use at some point in your life. And it may surprise you, you know, it might be 10 years later and thinking like, oh man, yeah, there was this class I took and it might serve you at some point, you might not even realize it. So actually, uh, when you talked about your life journey there really quickly, it reminded me of this one talk that you were in, 
like it was a zoom call but you gave us like a story of like your career but anyways the point i'm making here which just reminded me you mentioned then there's something about entrepreneurship and either it was if it, it was like be, uh, entrepreneurship is being like a public servant not for profit or something um can you help me remember what that was i found it profound i, I don't, just don't remember what it the details were. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, sometime during the pandemic, uh, when everyone was stuck at home, entrepreneur, some entrepreneurship group at NC State yeah. put on a speaker series called Started at State. So it was really focused on entrepreneurship. So I, yeah, I gave a talk called Started at State. And because you're a fan, I guess you found it and watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I was there live. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so um, this this is my the way that I think about entrepreneurship. And again, you know, the BME class was not an entrepreneurship class, although we had a lot of good entrepreneurship come out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurship education that it does a couple of things. It it, it like provides it as a career option. I think that that young adults think that maybe entrepreneurship is a way to it's it's a career path where you can make a lot of money um you think entrepreneur you think there, there's sort of this um you you think about starting a tech company and and you know getting it acquired and becoming rich right and like entrepreneurship might be um, starting a bicycle shop, you know, rolling up your sleeves and starting a bicycle shop. And, you, you know, you might not get rich starting a bicycle shop, um, but it takes the entrepreneurial spirit to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the, the, like sort of the vision of what is entrepreneurship, I think is just in general, um, it's got this bias towards this, you know, raise results. money yeah. yeah raise money and exit become rich right and you know this like attitude of i don't want to work for the boss anymore i'm gonna i'm gonna start my own business i'm gonna work for myself mm -hmm. um well when you when you start your own business you've just infinitely multiplied the bosses the the boss is the person that you answer to right so in a like a traditional job you've got maybe one manager mm -hmm. and you report to that manager and and you get your annual review with that manager and you decide you don't want to work for the boss anymore you're going to start your own thing well now you've got at the very least to answer to your customers the customer is always right so every customer is your boss. Um, if you're raising money, if that's the kind of business that you're in, then your investors are your boss. Um, you've got employees and you got to answer to them in many ways. I mean, you've got to serve your employees. Um, the, the, the way, the, what weighs on you at night um, you know, I've started multiple companies and people have picked up and moved, you know, across the country 
to be part of a startup that I started. Mm. I've started companies. I've started companies where professional adult, you know, like grown adults with kids, like older adults with kids Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have left their jobs, quit their jobs, joined a startup that I started. Mm -hmm. And then, and then a few years later it failed and they were out on the street looking for work. Mm -hmm. Like that's heavy. You know, I got to go to sleep with that um the the employee is thinking about what are you know what do you evaluate when you're looking for a job it's like what's the you know what's the compensation what are the benefits you know how much vacation time am i going to get what's the work-life balance going to be is it a good culture fit Mm -hmm. you know you're looking for a place that's going to provide a good good life experience to work and make money and and right well as an entrepreneur you're providing all of those things you're providing jobs providing benefits providing compensation providing a culture you're creating a company culture mm-hmm. i mean in in my mind i'm thinking I want the people that work for the companies that I'm starting to be happy. Mm-hmm. I would like them to be able to buy the car that they want and go on the vacations they want to go on and enjoy and experience life and work in an environment that's fun and engaging and interesting and do meaningful work. Well, that's, you know, you are the, cre- you are the job creator. And this is, this is on one hand, it's philosophical, but then if you look at the economy of our country, it is fueled by entrepreneurs, people that start companies, create jobs for other people. It's, it's just really hard work that comes with it a, you know, a level of responsibility and, and stress. Mm Mm-hmm that um i i i think it's fantastic i i think i i um encourage young adults to consider being an entrepreneur but i wouldn't sell it like hey here's a here's a way you could go here's an option for you (laughs) you know it's it's just a little bit more serious than that Right. right you're asking a lot of of a young person to consider being in my mind a social a social servant right yeah and that's kind of why i bring it up like so the social servant aspect of it and me realizing that like oh entrepreneurship is really selfless and it's a lot of responsibility and in the past when i was like i'm going to be an entrepreneur one day it was always more like oh well what am I going to invent or what is this solution that I'm going to provide or what is this like thing that I'm going to do? And um, I think I took a step back from that and it's like, okay, maybe in the future one day, but like I want to develop myself or I want to kind of go through life and get these experiences first um, instead of like focusing on just like being an entrepreneur. And I don't know, I guess like for me, it was just a a kind of like a, a switch when I like listened to what you were saying at that one entrepreneurship talk of just what it means to be an entrepreneur and 
um, how it's not for everyone, but it's also great if it is just having all the facts of it too. And just knowing, knowing what that's like. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I've heard about you ever since I started college and it's cool to actually get to spend some time with you and speak with you. I would have never been able to do this. I think, um, in school, just because I went to the UNC side, you were on the state side, and then you left before I was a senior. So um, I'm glad we kind of got to connect. And it's cool to see. <laughs> it's cool to meet with the person that designed the thing that I went through. I, me and Brian were talking about it before the call. Like, I don't know, you, you experience you go through it, and then you don't realize all the intentional design. And then to meet the person that kind of built it up is really cool. And I know mm -hmm. Brian's a huge fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are too so. much. The students, all the stu all all your all the alums that came yeah. came before you. They they all built this class, mm -hmm. and uh, and you continue to build it. What you're doing right now is contributing to the future of the experience because um, I have a feeling that there's some some students and or professionals out there that are going to listen to this and they're going to change the way that they teach their classes and they're going to do something that you and I would have never thought of yeah. um, because they're inspired to do something really intentional and different and that's awesome. Thanks, Dr. DeBeo. It was good to talk with you. We'll catch you soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that concludes part two of our interview with Dr. DeMeo. Thank you so much for listening to the BME Grad Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our Instagram page, the BME Grad Podcast, for shorts and updates. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow and leave a rating or review. The BME Grad Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And as we say every week, for more information on the BME Grad Podcast and its origins, you can visit bme.unc.edu under the News and Events tab. Thanks for listening.